good morning, everybody. I've, yeah, it's still morning for like 10 more minutes. Uh, so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the uh, lead uh, pastors around here. And we are so glad you're here. We know it's a three-day weekend, lots of people out doing their thing. But you're better than them because you came to church. That's all I'm throwing out there. You're better than them. Um, hey, I hope you're enjoying our new service times. Um, it's weird that the second service was always like so full that we couldn't squeeze anybody in. And now the first service is. So I'm not sure we did any good. But uh, anyways, there's, there's room in this service for sure. Hey, but we're, we're so glad you're here. Hey, a couple things. Um, in about a month, uh, we're starting a new series. We're starting one today as well. But this one is designed specifically for us, uh, those of us who called our life went home those of us who are believers, to bring folks who may not believe, who may have questions about faith. And we're going to do it in a way that I think everybody can kind of comprehend. And we're going to do a series called At the Movies. And we do this pretty much every year where we take kind of popular modern movies that are decent and not crazy in any way. Although we did Nacho Libre for Father's Day a couple years ago. That was fun. and we just kind of make it, um, we teach the Bible and we use some, some stories from these, the, the, these stories to um, uh, kind of support the message. And um, th- we're going to do it different than we've ever done it this time. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Popcorn every service. It's going to be Popcorn Alley. Uh, there'll be other things as well. But it's a lot of fun. And we're going to put some invite cards in your hand in the next couple of weeks um, so that you can help us with that. So we'd love for you to do that. And then right after this service... We'll be doing um, child dedication. So if that's you today, we are so excited to share that with you. Hey, we're, we're starting a brand new teaching series from the book of Galatians today. And we're just calling it Sermons from the Book of Galatians because we can't do the entire book. That would take us six months. Um, but we want to we select some key passages and teach through them verse by verse. I don't know if I'll finish it all. It's one of those ones where you just got kind of go where the text takes you. Um, but before we go um, to the text, we want to talk about this book and this letter um, and it's writer a little bit. The letter is written to the churches around Galatia. Um, they're penned, uh, it's penned by a man named Saul, who was formerly known as, or sorry, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul. He was a very deeply religious Jewish man. He was a part of a sect called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were deeply committed to the Old Testament Jewish uh, traditions, all of the laws. And there were a lot of 600 and something Jewish uh, Old Testament laws. And, and then a lot of, some of those were not created by God, but were created by them, the Pharisees, the religious elite. And so they were committed to them. Paul, is, or Saul rather, is committed to these traditions. And then one day as he's going to persecute Christians who believe the gospel, he's literally got letters to go arrest them, throw them into jail. He's already sit. Uh, been seated at the uh, the scene of a crime where a man named Stephen um, is stoned to death because of his faith, because of his beliefs, because of teaching about Jesus. Saul is there. But on the road to Damascus to do these Christians harm, uh, Jesus encounters him in a big way, um, blinds him, confronts him, and then converts him. Saul becomes Paul, and all of a sudden he goes from hating Jesus to loving Jesus, from seeing Jesus as a kind of false God to seeing Jesus as the real and only God, and from hating Christians to becoming their pastor. So those of you who think Danny's not very cool, at least I didn't kill any of you before we got here today, amen? (laughs) Throw that out. Just throw it out there so you'll see me in a different light. Um, Anyways, he goes out after he's converted. He's wise in the scriptures. He knows the, the, the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. He's memorized probably all of them, at least the majority of them. And he goes out and begins to teach the gospel, as Jesus brought and taught, right? 
churches get planted in places where churches hadn't been. One is in a particular region called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey right now. And you can find ruins there. He, He loves those churches, but his mission is to keep spreading the gospel. So he leaves them to go start more churches in other unchurched areas. When he leaves them, um, some, some other Jewish Christians um, came down from Jerusalem, which is where the whole party got started. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And they come and they're called Judaizers because um, they're claiming to speak for the original apostles. Paul was an apostle that was added afterwards. So there's the 12 disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus. He takes his own life. They add a 12th. Those are the apostles. But Jesus calls... Um, Paul to be an apostle as well. So he's like an other apostle. And so they start to, these guys come down from Jerusalem and they start to spread rumors that Paul's not a real apostle, that he's not teaching a full or complete gospel. In particular, they tell these young Galatian converts that they were obliged not only to follow Jesus, but to keep the Jewish um, ceremonial and cultural laws of the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law or the law of Moses. If you remember, Moses goes up on the mountain, comes down with the Ten Commandments, and there's all these laws that are established. So it's, they, they have to do with dietary laws. So like you can't eat catfish or, or lobster or shrimp. Come on, Kim, aren't you glad that those days are past? Hey, man, some snow crab legs right now. That's all I'm thinking about. Some lobster. Anyways, some catfish. Brother could eat some fried catfish right now, but only from Mississippi because it's better than all the other. I'm telling you, it's better than all the other catfish. That's the only thing they got. You got to give them that, all right? Leave it to them. Um, so anyways, they have to do all these things to be pleasing to God. And then, of course, the, the sort of linchpin was they had to be circumcised. If you weren't circumcised, like this is what's going to happen or you're not really saved. So like imagine um, grown men in the room today. If one day we said, and by the way, kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents on the way home. They'll be happy to tell you about that. <laughs> they'll be pleased to talk with you about that. You're welcome. Anyways, um, but, but imagine if, if one day... Uh, I get up here and I'm preaching and I'm like, hey, grown men who've never had that particular operation happen. Dr. Bill, our bass player is a a surgeon. Dr. Bill, he'll be out back with a scalpel to take care of that for you right after church. And by the way, if you don't show up, you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Be a pretty bad day, wouldn't it? This is kind of what's going on here. And and Galatians is um, Paul's defense of that. And it's really about two primary things. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, the freedom that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what is at stake at the book of Galatians. And these are the central issues that Paul is defending, that he's hammering out freedom. And it answers the question, the the letter does, how can I truly be free from all of the stuff that I feel like I have to do, right? So let's dive in. Galatians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Get your phones out. Don't tweet or text or whatever. Just get them out and get the Bible on there. Unless you have a flip phone, you have a Bible on there by now. If you don't, we'll help you out. Come on now. Get out. Get, get, Galatians chapter 1. Just verse by verse through these things. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to get a little fired up today because this stuff makes me fired up. All right? So if I do a little something, y'all get with me. All right? Y'all feeling that? I don't know what that was, but whatever it was, I might do it again. Anyways. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And by the way, when he starts out like this, he's already ticked off. All of his other letters, he's like, hey, I'm Paul. Hey, how y'all doing? You know, what's been happening? I'm praying for you. You guys are all awesome. He just is like, hey, hey, 
I'm Paul, and I didn't get sent here by men. I wasn't taught by a man, but Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Generally, his letters were written to a church. These were a group of churches, so this letter was circular. Like, you read it, you guys discuss this letter, pass it on, right? So circular letter. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is just coming right out of the gate going, hey, this isn't my musings about Jesus. I haven't been called by men. I haven't been trained by a man. Uh, Jesus gave this to me himself. I was called by God through Jesus. So everything I'm going to tell you from now on is weighty. It matters. And I come to you as an apostle, as a, the word is messenger, or like an ambassador, or even like even closer to home for us, like an attorney with all of the power and the authority um, to represent Jesus and to speak on his behalf. That's what he's saying. So everything I'm going to say, I'm saying it under the authority of Jesus, right? So verse four, and we're going to spend a lot of time in this verse, who gave himself for our what? To what? All right, so let's say that together. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Now let's hang out there for a minute. He's wanting everybody to know, here's who you are, here's what's been done for you, and here's who did it. All right? And here's why. If we're going to understand the gospel clearly, which is what this book is about, here are some things you have to know, and you're not going to love them, and I don't love them either. But here's what he's trying to say. Hey, listen, fellas, ladies, gents, kids, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And Paul's wanting us to know that we are helpless and lost. That's what the word rescue implies, because if I weren't helpless and lost, I wouldn't need rescue. He wants us to understand that's who we are. And this is fundamental to our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Because you think, oh, I'm just this little good person. I come to church and Jesus did some nice things for me. No, no, no. I'm a sinner, man. And I'm headed for a Christless eternity. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. So you need to understand who you are, who I am, what's been done and why. You and I have fallen short of what God has asked us to be, and I doubt anyone would argue that, right? Just to make sure that we understand, you and I have both, have all pursued other things. We've placed other things above God, have we? Yes or no? We've done this in our lives, right? We've probably all lied. You started that when you were about two, amen, parents, right? You, you've, you've been indifferent. You've allowed jealousy and anger and, and unforgiveness uh, in your heart. Yes or no? We've, we've all done these, right? So Paul wants us to, to know right out of the gate, here's the reality. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner, right? And you need to understand. And you need rescue and I need rescue. Everybody with me so far? It's not fun. You're like, man, I thought we were coming to church to hear something fun. You're going to get fun, something fun in just a minute. Because here's the good news part of that. Ultimately, he says, you're a sinner, right? So am I. And... But Christ gave himself up for our sins. No matter how dark they are, no matter how light they are in our brains, he gave himself for our sins. He came to rescue us, and that's why we call him Savior. Amen? Y'all going to have to help me preach it just a little bit today, because the first service was packed, and people were amen at me, and I was like filling something up here, so help me out. Kidding. Now, now... Um, Imagine you go downtown tonight to the Riverwalk and you're walking around on the Riverwalk 
and it's one o'clock in the morning and you see a drunk guy who's fallen into the river and he's flailing around drowning. Now, you don't have to even imagine that. Just go down there tonight and you'll see what I'm saying. (laughs) So, like, what if you come up on that and you're like, hey, man, you shouldn't be drunk. That's a sin. What's wrong with you? And you just yelled at him. Not helpful, right? Or what if you reach into your purse or your bag, your man bag or whatever you got right there, and and you pull out a little book on how to rescue a drunk guy from the river and you toss it to him, right? Not helpful. Or, hey, man, next time you get in this situation, let me tell you the three steps not to do. Like, not helpful, right? You You don't throw him some teachings. You throw him a rope. Or better yet, you get in the water with him and you drag his sorry hide back to the shore and say, don't do that again, man. I'm trying to save you. As he's flailing and fighting you as you're trying to save him, right? But this is what Jesus has done for us, except in the rescue effort, he's, to save us from death, he's died in our place. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a big flood in Kerrville, and a guy jumps in, saves a person. The person lives, but the guy drowns. Do you remember that? Just like two, maybe last year, a year before last, right? This is what Jesus has done on our behalf. He dies rescuing us. He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. There is no self-improvement plan. There is no 12-step program that will take care of the penalty for our sins. So what it means is that I'm going to need somebody to come to my rescue. So Jesus is going to come. And he's going to do two things in the rescue effort. Number one, he's going to come and live a perfect, sinless life. He's going to live out the law. He's going to, all the 600 rules, he's going to obey them all perfectly. It's never been done before. It will never be done again. He does it all, right? And and then he will take that perfection that he's generated, right? His perfection, and the Bible uses a word called impute. He will impute it, right, or account it to our account so that when so that when God looks at us upon us, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I want to just draw this out so I can make this make sense for you. I'm, I'm a terrible drawer and I'm a terrible I have terrible penmanship. So teachers, just back off already, all right? I know I have it. Leave me alone. They've been leaving me alone for a long time. So this is a ledger book. You've seen ledger books. They have little lines and you keep track and it's a ledger, right? So this is, this is the account of Jesus and this is me and, and you. But let's talk about me because I don't know your story. So when I start thinking about my life, I know that I've sinned in my life. Like, so I gotta, in my ledger, I got to put some sins, right? There was that, oh, that thing in the eighth grade. That was a pretty big one right there. There was that thing I did in high school. There's some other ones over here. A lot, lot of sins, a lot of sins. Some of them were just real small, you know what I'm saying? Just little tiny ones. And there's that one in the 15th grade. Um, oh, I wrote the wrong letter. 15th grade, I was in Bible college, so I'd send there too. That's awesome, right? Go to Bible college and sin a bunch. Yeah, that's what I kind of did. But I didn't just sin, right? And, and, and some of my efforts in life um, were righteous efforts. Like I, I, did, I, I fed a lot of homeless people in my life. So that's, that's righteous. I've gone on a lot of mission trips. I started a church. That's pretty good, right? Um, I talked some of y'all down off the ledge every now and then, you know, so that's pretty good. I've done some righteous things and then, oh yeah, there's some more sin. Let's just be honest about my sins. There's a lot more sins. But even, even some of these, these R's really... Uh, as it turns out, aren't helping me very much. And then if you look at Jesus' account, the Bible says he, he knew no sin. He had no sin. So he has just righteous 
righteousness, perfect, flawless living, right? Now, now here's the thing. I can kind of get excited about all of these, these good things I've done in my life and say, well, I'm a good person. Yeah, I did, some, I did that little sin right there, but I also did this R, and, I, and, it, and they kind of it blocked it out. It's like when you go and you eat like a whole, like a king-sized thing of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, like the four-pack, you know what I'm saying? But you drink a Diet Coke, it cancels it out. <laughs> Come on, anybody feeling that with me this morning? So these canceled it out. And I can start to feel good about my, my, little, my R's in my account, except that Isaiah... 64 and 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy what? Do you remember? Rags. So really these R's are stinky rags. Some of you have one of those on your sink right now. You pass by and you're like, I got I to gotta get that in the wash machine. C- come on, am I right? There's, you're like, you're washing your hands. You're like, what is that smell? And it's, it's your rag, man. You, gotta, you can't use it forever. It stops cleaning things when it's no longer clean. Just math, or, you know, or science, or chemistry, something. I'm not good at any of them. So my best efforts at righteousness are rags. So I'm going to need a rescue, and this is what happens on the cross. Jesus comes, lives a perfect, sinless life. And then he imputes that or accounts that to me. Now, let me just tell you something. There are three things that get imputed in our lives. When Adam sinned, this is just, I'm taking you back to the beginning. Adam's the first man. He sins in the Bible. Guess what happens with his sin? It gets put on your account and mine. All of these millennia later, it is imputed. So every person is born a sinner because of Adam. Thanks, Adam. Seriously, I'll jump on you, man. Right? So that's, I'm born a sinner. I'm shaping in iniquity, Psalm says, right? But then there's another level of imputation, and that's when Jesus comes and he accounts his righteousness into my life. And here's how that works. He looks at me, and he's on the cross. He lives a perfect, sinless life. And then he takes, when I trust him for my, my salvation, he takes his righteousness, and he puts it in my account, and then he erases my account. Look, look at this, y'all. He erases my account so that I have nothing in my account but now the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that when God sees me, he no longer sees all the junk in my ledger. He just sees the righteousness. But that's not the only thing that happens. There's a third impute that happens. All of the sins in my account, guess what happens to them? Somebody's got to take them. Somebody's got to pay for them. They get dumped on Jesus. He loses his righteousness. He takes on not only my sin and all that's in my account, He takes all of yours as well. That's what happens. So number one, he lives a perfect, sinless life. And so you're like, well, what about all the junk that I've done in my life? What happens to all that? It got put on him. So he absorbs on the cross. He absorbs the wrath of God, which was meant for me, which was meant for you. It gets dumped on him. And in exchange for all of our nonsense, we get the righteousness of Christ. And what that means now is that when God looks at me as a believer, he no longer sees all my flaws. I know them. I can remember all of them in detail. But God chooses not to. He can't see them because he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, if that doesn't make you happy, I don't have anything for you other than a Cowboys win. You know what I'm saying? God, crush those cheeseheads today. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, look at this. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, to be sin, who knew no sin. This is the scripture that translates what I just said there. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Boom. All right, I'm fired up. Let me get on track here. 
Yet, here's what happens. You and I come into faith. We believe this. But a lot of times as we progress in faith, we get religious. We start with relationship. I can't believe what God's done for me. And we get religious. And the longer we've been Christians, we start to think, well, I like what he's done there, but I feel like that was good for the start. And now I got to help a brother out. I'm going to do a bunch of righteous things now so I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. But listen to me. Sin has, has, has us in its grips and no amount of religious activity or self-reformation can save us from ourselves. We are doomed unless Christ came to rescue us from our sins. But we want to try anyway. But listen to me. No amount of religious activity will add to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is by faith and it is in Jesus only. Amen, somebody. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. You're like, that was only a part of a verse. Come on, man, speed it up. Who, I do have to speed it up. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Now, let me talk about that evil age just for a second. We think about evil age. Our minds naturally go, well, that's the worst things that people do. Like the thing that happened in Las Vegas last week. Like how horrific is that? How evil, how evil was that? We think about murder. We think about rape. We think about wars. We think about genocide. And all of that is true. If you grew up in the kind of church I grew up in, then you think about evil age. You think about demons and and the devil. And all of that's real. And all of that is true. All of that's part of it. But what happens is if that's all we think the present evil age is, then we can assume, well, that has nothing to do with me because I don't do any of that stuff. But trust me, our enemy is slicker than that. We got to be rescued, he said, from the present evil age. The present, right now, evil age. I need rescue from that. And and here's how it it works in our life. Our enemy disguises things in our life, in our culture. We think, oh, they're normal, they're natural, we should do all that, we should participate in that. And he lulls us to sleep to the extent that we never realize that there's a a war going on between between evil and good. And and most of us have been lulled to sleep into thinking that we love, and and what happens is we end up loving the creation and the stuff and and, and all the feelings and all the things out there more than the creator. And when you love the creation more than you love the creator, you open yourself up for all kinds of addictions and nonsense and mess that erodes the joy out of your life. When you love creation rather than the creator, you're going to want to take from creation more than it has to give you. And when you run into the fact that it can't give you what you're looking for, you begin to self-medicate. And some people do that through through drugs and alcohol and, and sexual deviance. And some of us are going to medicate with lust and most of us are going to medicate with trying to accomplish and, and trinkets and toys and stuff for future garage sales. Am I, am I right? This is how we medicate ourselves because we don't realize that we're sucking, we're getting sucked into the, the present evil age. And we're going to think that life is all about us and that everything we have is for us. And we don't take God at his word and we don't take his word very seriously. And we say, oh, well, all that stuff that Jesus said, that was for them, not for me. We're being lulled into a present evil age. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. According, verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. So the end of the day is, why did Jesus come to our rescue? Because God wanted it to happen. Not because of, of me or you. There's nothing in us which merits it. Salvation is sheer grace. And that is why the only one who gets glory forever and ever is God alone. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Randy Travis, I'm going to love you forever. Amen. Amen. So Paul then turns a very sharp corner in verse 6 and he goes on attack against these Judaizers who had come teaching this other 
thing. And here's what he says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, to to live in that reality. And you are turning to a different gospel. Did did you see what happened here? Look Look at the words. Look at them on the screen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one, right? So, so in other words, in the gospel, we are attached to Jesus. Ephesians says like 32 or three times that we are in Christ. And Paul says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserve, deserted him or the one, not it, not the gospel. You deserted a person. You deserted Jesus. I'm astonished after what he's done for you. After what I've told you he's done for you, he says, I'm bewildered that you would desert him to move on to some other chains, like some other bondage. Now this matters because Paul says that any change to the gospel makes it no gospel at all. You, you and I, look at it again. We were called by Jesus. He, you didn't call him to come to your rescue. He just came to your rescue anyway. Come on, Amy. That's the kind of God you serve. And God accepted us. We didn't accept him. He chose us. We didn't choose him. And God accepts us in spite or despite our unworthiness. Like I wasn't worthy, neither were you, but he comes and he accepts us. Now, now here's the point. This is the order of the gospel. God accepts us and then we start to follow him and do stuff. Right? Other religious systems, including other Christian denominations, have it in reverse. Follow God, obey all the rules, then he'll accept you. No, no. Paul's like, no, no, it's wrong. So, so then if you say, I need the grace of Jesus plus something else, you reverse the order of the gospel and you make it null and void in your life. Is what he's saying. This is why Paul is so freaked out because he's saying, if you do, if you follow those teachers, what's happened for you gets undone. It's, it's, you've, you've made the grace of God of no account. That's what he says in other places. You've made it a laughing stock. Another gospel, he says, is not another gospel. It's no gospel at all. So let's unpack that for a second. When we say the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we mean is the, is the story of Jesus is found in the Bible. And if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, we find that mankind, you and I, were created in God's image and his likeness. And then what? For his glory. Like Adam and Eve are not just play toys for for God. They're for his glory, right? The creation speaks to his glory. All of creation glorifies God, the Bible says it. But then mankind, as we've already said, sinned and they fell short of God's glory. They missed the mark. The Greek word is hamartia. Sin, that the sin, hamartia, means to miss the mark. We disobeyed him, and God told Adam and Eve, don't, don't, you, you have freedom to do anything you want except this one thing. Don't do this one thing. And they did it anyways. And he says, if you do, the day you do, you will surely die. And so death has come into the human equation. But God, in, in, in spite of what's been done, in spite of our mistakes, in his mercy and by his grace, has compassion on us. He came to us as the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived without sin. He died. And upon his death, our sins were placed on him and he was punished in our place. 
He was laid in a tomb for three days that was a borrowed tomb. And then he rose from the death, uh, from death, demonstrating beyond any shadow of doubt that he is God, the one true God, and that he has conquered our enemies of, of Satan and sin and death. And he gives us freely from what he did. He gives us the gift of salvation, forgiveness, complete cleansing, complete riddance of guilt and shame and all of this stuff. And it comes solely by the grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do can merit it or earn it. It's just what he's given us out of his kindness and his love and his mercy. That's the story of the Bible of Jesus. That is the gospel. But here's the issue is that while the gospel is, the Bible says, it's the power of God to save and change lives, over time as religion begins to do what religion does to people's hearts, we have a tendency to drift away from the true gospel and pervert it in several ways, but I want to talk about two just as I shut this down. Number one is the one that Paul is confronting here, and it's error number one, if you're taking notes, it's legalism, or it's works-based salvation. So these Judaizers come and teach a Jesus plus religion. So here's the equation in their minds. Jesus plus Moses equals salvation. Right? And Paul would say, no, Jesus equals salvation. Jesus only. Right? And then you go on and you're called to do good works. That's the, so the order of the gospel is Jesus equals salvation and he saved you to do some good things in your life. But you don't do the good things to get saved. You do the, the good things because you're saved. We'll talk about it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Now, these Judaizers don't deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't deny his death. They don't deny his resurrection. And they didn't preach against believing in Jesus. But what they said, in essence, is what Christ, Christ started, you have to finish. That you must finish the unfinished work of Christ. Even though when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is what? It is finished. They're like, no, 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 he didn't really mean that. He meant something else, right? In Paul's mind, this was nothing less than an attack on the gospel itself. That if the Judaizers prevailed, all of his work would have been in vain. Are we saved by believing? Are we saved by achieving? Paul would say we're saved by believing. The Judaizers would say believing and achieving. And Paul says, it's no gospel at all. So Aaron A is, that, is the one that Paul was fighting against the Galatians. That the gospel is heard. And it just seems too good to be true or like it's good for the first time I come to faith. But I need something else to kind of keep me saved after the fact. You see what I'm saying? So I got to help a brother out. Like Jesus was awesome, but I got to help him out in my own salvation. Right? That Christ would love us, save us, rescue us from sin. Not because of anything that we've done, but simply by the free, unmerited grace of God. Seems too easy. Got to help a brother out. I'll add these things to, to the life and the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll add all this religious activity. And, and so things like keep the rules and do good and try harder and go to church and be baptized and give your money and follow the Ten Commandments. Obey the golden rule. Like great stuff. Good stuff. Got to do them, right? Do, do what your priest tells you to do. Do what your pastor tells you to do. Light some candles. Say some Hail Marys. Um, meditate. Read the Bible. Pray. Be busy doing stuff for Jesus. But the list is endless because the human mind is endlessly creative in the ways it devises to please God. A God it can't see. A God it doesn't really understand. 
But rule keeping always fails in the end because you can never be sure you've done enough. Trust me, I grew up doing this. 30 years of my life trying to keep all the rules so I could be right with God. If, if one prayer is enough or five minutes of prayer, if 10 minutes of prayer, what should I do 30? How many candles should I light? Well, I don't know. Can never be certain. So I live in angst and fear and doubt. Am, am I saved or am I not saved? But here's how that fleshes out, that I'm going to work my way to heaven by doing, be, being a good person and doing a bunch of righteous things to keep me saved. Like I'll believe the gospel to save me, but then I'll, I'll create my own righteousness from there by doing good things. But, but Paul says in Romans 4, 3, what does the scripture says, say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. That's what I was talking about right there as righteousness. In another place, he says, who's righteous? He says, not one. Not one person is righteous. So, so what is righteousness? It's, it's right standing with God. It's that, right? It's right standing with God. If, if my wife's here today, if I said of, of my wife, Rachel, she's a righteous person. She's a righteous dude, man. Nobody? Bueller. Bueller. Anyways. Um, what, what do I mean by that? We'd say she did right things. She did righteous deeds. She was moral. She's a good wife. She's a good example. She lives righteously. She's not perfect, but she doesn't lie. She doesn't cheat. She doesn't steal. If I said that she's a righteous person and your assumption is that she lives righteously, that's a good assumption. But here's the question about that. Is she righteous because she lives righteously or does she live righteously because she's righteous? Let me say it again. Is she righteous because she's of what she's doing to live righteously? Or does she live righteously because she's already righteous? It's the second one, by the way. And that seeming twist makes all the difference in the world. It changes everything. Because listen to me. I don't care how good a person you are. I don't care if you follow all the Ten Commandments and all the other rules. Without grace, you're no better than the worst person amongst us, right? Because God's standard is perfection, ladies and gentlemen. Like, make no mistake about it. God's standard is perfection. So how is it possible to get to heaven if I have to be perfect? It's not. Or is it possible that I'll make it to heaven because somebody has already been perfect and I can put my faith and my trust in him and his gospel, not just one time, but every time to access his sustaining grace. I'm not in right standing because, uh, uh, with God because I do righteous things, because I can't do enough righteous things to make me right, right with God. That's self-righteousness. I'm in right standing with God because he did righteous things. And I put my faith and trust in him and he poured his righteousness into my account. And because of my right standing with God, now I have an increasing desire to do righteous things. Pray, read my Bible, right? Do good, help homeless people, serve the poor, go on missions. But I don't do these in order to be righteous or in order to be saved. I do them because I am. And it's my response. It's my act of love, not my act of, of, of have to. It's my act of love. Oh, that's what you've done for me? My only reasonable response is worship, Paul says in Romans 12 too. In view of God's mercy, offer your, your bodies as living sacrifices. I, want, I, can't, I can't do anything to pay him back, but I want to live my life as a living thank you card. Not in order to gain, but because I am saved. That's error A. Error two, error B is hedonism. It's the common error of our day, of our churches. Ah, you know what? If you want to live in freedom, you, you receive Christ, the best message ever, and then you go out and do whatever you want. 
ignore the scriptures. Whatever Jesus said, he didn't really mean that. You can kind of live, you can kind of do whatever you want. He's, he's obligated to forgive you. You can, just, you can just sin as much as you want. You can do whatever you want. You can live with anybody, do anything, whatever you want. And it's all good. Good. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why I did that. Man, that's the greatest message ever. God reconciling us to himself in Christ. I'll just live whatever I want. And here's how that looks like right here in our, in our area. Maybe we go to church here and there. Maybe we're in a group. Maybe we're not. But our love for God and our understanding of the gospel is completely compartmentalized to this place, this one hour of the week. And it makes no difference to the rest of our lives. So that the weight and the glory of Jesus doesn't impact our lives at work. So that the weight and the glory of Jesus doesn't leave with us in this place and go wherever we go next. It doesn't carry any weight in our workplace. It doesn't carry any weight in our homes or whatever domains that we choose to go to. To the extent that the gospel becomes a kind of fire insurance. I just don't want to go to hell. And maybe you'd argue, I got baptized. You know, I made Jesus my savior back in the day. But now I'm going to do whatever I want from this point on. That's not the gospel. That's a perversion of the gospel. And I'm, I hate to say this. I'm afraid there's going to be some people who think they're going to heaven who don't go there because they believe the lie. Put, put, it, put it in terms of parenting. Those of your parents, hey, kids, I love you so much. Just do whatever you want to do, right? No, no repercussions, no shaping, no, no discipline, no desire to mature, no desire to help them grow up and be good people. Just do whatever you want and we're good. How evil of a parent is that? Some of you are like, I know that guy, right? It's a perversion of the gospel, and it's the most common error in our day. It's not the gospel, though. For a ton of us, the gospel has no bearing on our everyday lives. This is the extent of our religious experience, this one hour here. We compartmentalize our lives so that Jesus is a thing, but he doesn't sit over everything and read the gospels. That is not going to work. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that's part of that evil age that we're getting lulled into that you got to be on your, your guard for. doesn't mean you do good things to be saved. You are saved. You do these things because that's our expression of love. Hey, what do you call me to do? What's your purposes for my life? What does the scripture say? I live in, in response to the scripture, not the other way. I, I, don't, I don't allow my feelings to dictate what the scriptures say. I don't allow the opinions of the culture or the man, or mankind to tell me what the scripture says. The Bible is the word of God. And I follow it to the T. I don't have time, but let me finish this last verse. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And Paul's saying, hey, if I show back up one day and preach something different than me, I'm under a curse. You go out, some dude shows up and says, hey, I'm an apostle and I'm telling you something different. He says, let that guy be under a curse. And this guy is bold, but he's speaking in the Holy Spirit. And, And what he's doing here is saying, hey, listen, in our culture, there's rampant pluralism, meaning, hey, all roads lead to God. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. It's Jesus. There's no other way to the Father but through Jesus. And I know some of you are already going, well, I don't know about that. I think you can kind of be a good person. And do... No, no, Paul would say, no, no, no. Pluralism is not the gospel. It's through Jesus. It's by Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's because of Jesus. 
listen, he says, there is no other gospel. This is the gospel. This is what saves. This is what delivers. This is what sets free. This is the only thing, only this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? So if, you, if you're living out in error A and you're like, I just gotta, I gotta rule my way. I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta perform my way to Jesus. You're missing it. If you're living over in error B, it's like, woo, willy-nilly, whatever. You missed it. Freedom is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as, as he'll go on and say in Galatians 5, walking and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Having the fruit of the Spirit in my life evidenced. And if I'm living in over in error B, I'm not going to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I'm going to have the fruit of the flesh. That's what happens. And we're like, hey, I'm a Christian. Hashtag blessed. No, you're not. Hashtag you're going to hell. Amen, somebody. I didn't mean to say that. That wasn't in my notes. Error A is a kind of slavery, but so is error B. And freedom is, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, would you be Lord and Savior of my life? I lay down my life. I follow you. Be the forgiver of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe I can have new life because of what you did, not on any effort of my own. And I'm going to follow you from this day forward. That's the gospel. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to work hard to be saved. I am saved. I'm going to work hard to tell other people about who you are and what you've done in my life. The great exchange that you created in my life. Amen, somebody? Let me pray over you. Father, thanks so much for the word of God. Covered a lot of ground, went fast. I'm praying that the word of God would fall on good ground, good soil. Lord, that you would do a work in our lives. That those of us who may be living in either of these errors, that we would, by the Holy Spirit, we would receive conviction, God. That we would understand that that's not right. Lord, I lived my life striving to to be pleasing to you and always knowing I was coming up short, always worried, knowing I couldn't keep all the plates spinning all at the same time. I just couldn't keep it all together. And I know that's an exhausting life, that I can just leave that and trust you, live for you, learn you, learn your ways, follow you, and know all the way through, through good days, bad days, mistakes that I'll make, that your grace is enough. It's enough. No amount of effort on my part is going to do anything. Your grace is sufficient for me. But I see other people who live in the other era, Lord, who just think anything goes. Lord, I just pray that you would convict us, Lord, that we would follow you truly with all of our hearts and all our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.